0: Welcome into Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Across the river, he's Alex Wolfe. The Knicks lose back to back close games. We are going to get into it.
1: Yeah, first to the Spurs, then to the Nets. Drastically different in the sense that they they went down huge to the Spurs and almost came back and kept it relatively close with the Nets all game. But we'll talk about some of the standout performances like Frank Nilakina, Marcus Morris some of the less-than-standout performances from guys like Julius Randle, uh, and also talk about a oddly-timed trade rumor that we're hearing about from Ian Bagley of SNY. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knicks is on rebound, back up off the glass, it's good, what he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane, knocks foul from behind. Count it, one. As Fistler posts
0: his fist. Becomes infectious. You are Lost on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, he's Alex Wolf, and the Knicks Blues Back-to-back games against the Spurs and the Nets, as you noted, Alex, drastically different scenarios against the Spurs. They go down by 28. They come back to sort of make it a game down the stretch, but not really. Um, and I kind of want to get started with this Nets game because, to me, that was the more interesting of the two. Where, where the Knicks, I, I think, there's, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. I, I think the final score maybe slightly deceptive in that like the Knicks were were sort of in it because they were volcanic from 3. I I didn't think this was a very well played game on their part overall.
1: No, I didn't think so either. I it was uh I mean they shot 18 of 35 from 3, which seems to be kind of a trend for them. They've been they've been shooting really hot from 3 lately. Um and in particular Marcus Morris shot 7 of 8 from deep against the Nets and I don't know, it, yeah, it felt like they just sort of got bailed out of another poor performance by the fact that, you know, they had Morris shoot seven of eight from deep. They had Dennis Smith even shoot two of four. Uh, Wayne Ellington shot four of seven from three. And that just sort of buoyed what was otherwise a, a crappily played and coached game for them again, I think. Um, I, I don't think you can really say otherwise about that game because it was just weird rotations again. Um you know, obviously you didn't have RJ Barrett in there, but like, Fisdale makes the totally baffling decision to start Kevin Knox in this one. Um, Mitchell Robinson got in foul trouble and, and fouled out in 19 minutes, but you only see 20 minutes of Taj Gibson with that. And, you know, Portis played 17 minutes. Um, Randall played 32 minutes. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just, it was a really, oddly coached game to me. Like, of course, Kevin Knox, like he wound up playing almost 18 minutes, but he seemed overmatched pretty much the whole time because even, even during, you know, secondary substitutions, sometimes he was still basically out there as the two guard. And it was just a really bizarre decision considering he's shown this season that he can't even really guard three guards uh, or three, you know, threes, I should say forwards, you know what I mean? Um, and it's, I don't know, it was just a, it was an odd game to me. I, I couldn't believe that, you know, in the end, it only came out to a two-point game. Because, I mean, I I think that's probably more of an indictment on the Nets than it is an endorsement on the Knicks. Um, the fact that it was that close down the stretch, because, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it, again, if, if Morris and Ellington don't get nuclear down the stretch and, and hit some Relatively difficult threes. Uh, the Knicks would have lost by double digits. So, and, and that honestly would have felt more appropriate as a final result for this game because I, I really didn't think they played very impressively.
0: Yeah, and, I, and again, I think part of it. I mean, the Nets obviously, uh, depending on, on what you think of Kyrie Irving uh, without their two best players, so that played a role as well. But yeah, I'm in. I'm in total agreement. I mean, I just, I, I was just mystified by some stuff on both ends. I mean, particularly defensively. The strategy the whole game was to double the ball on, on any pick and roll the other team, the Nets ran. And even sometimes when they weren't running a pick and roll, it was just to really like trap out high. And, and the intent was to get the ball out of Spencer Dinwiddie's hands because without Karis Laverde and without Kyrie Irving, he's really the only creator you have to worry about on Brooklyn. And that was despite the frequent double teams that was pretty utterly unsuccessful as Dinwiddie had 30 points and four assists. And, and, but almost more importantly, I mean, they got killed early in the game because they kept leaving role men like wide, wide open. I think Jared Allen, who hasn't been great this year, had three dunks in the first quarter because he he just, no one would guard him and then, I mean, obviously I'm assuming what Fizdale was telling them okay, you're going to, the center's going to double up top ideally whether it's Mitch or Gibson they're going to sort of block in what he's passing lanes, which is tough to do because he's a bigger guard but that that was the intent, and then someone's going to rotate over, and because Jared Allen isn't particularly overpowering you're going to be able to put a forward or a guard on him, and he's going to force to kick it out and it'll juggle all the matchups and, and the nets, and basically I think the the idea was somewhat sound. Like I, I, the goal there is to make Allen, who's like not really a great playmaker, not a great finisher, ha- have to do something with the ball. And then if he kicks it out, try and incentivize one of the other guys on the Nets to quote unquote take advantage of a mismatch when that's not really what anyone else on that team does outside of Dinwiddie. So I get the strategy, but the execution was just so, so bad. And it got a little bit better at points throughout the game and then started slipping again in the third and fourth quarter. And to me, that's really what burned them because I think the Nets, the Knicks were more than capable of like really, really shutting down this team defensively. And look, Brooklyn only finished with 103 points, only shot 40% from the field. But they could have done a even more dominant job on that end, and could have won despite the awful shooting from two.
1: Yeah, well, and also to your point about Dinwiddie, like I don't know, it's just frustrating, frustrating defensive strategy in the beginning because you had, you know, the Knicks basically decided to switch all the time again, and Dinwiddie was like one of the only guys in that starting lineup. Like as you mentioned, they're without Lavert, they're without Kyrie. You know, he's one of the only guys in that starting lineup that could really, like, truly kill you, um, you know, from the field to start. And they let him do exactly that. They let him get hot from three. Later on in the game, I mean, he wound up shooting 14 free throw attempts, making 13 of them. That was kind of what mostly led to his 30 points. But, you know, they they have Frank Milikina out there, who's a great defender and, you know, has proven to be able to, I mean, not even just shut down guys of Dinwiddie's caliber, but guys of like Kyrie Irving or James Harden or whatever's caliber. And instead we're switching and and then Dinwiddie kept finding himself open and he hit three three pointers in the first quarter. And then finally, you know, Fisdale had the stroke of genius, you know, he called a timeout after I think it was right after Dinwiddie hit the third three pointer of the quarter. He called the timeout. And, you know, when they got when the Knicks got sent back out there he had Frank stick to Dinwiddie. And, you know, pretty much everyone stick to their man. And that started to work. And then not a minute later, he pulled Frank. <laughs> and it was like, okay, well, you know, now you're in this deficit again. You know, it's like the Knicks just can never get out of their own way to start a game. You know, they always have to come out with, like, a totally whack, like, defensive strategy or or a totally whack lineup, which was absolutely the case today. Like, Kevin Knox got burned a number of times in that first quarter. Um, you know, and any time that he was out there as the nominal two guard. And, you know, it's it's just getting a little exhausting at this point to watch the Knicks like consistently be coming out, getting outclassed right away. You know, the same thing was true with the Spurs game. Um, full disclosure, I didn't even like watch that game fully analytically. I had a, a friend's wedding this weekend and then on Saturday there was some friends in town, so I went out and I was kinda half watching the game while I was out at out to dinner and I didn't feel the need to full watch the game either because it just wasn't, I mean, it was it, every time I looked up, it was, you know, the Knicks just getting burned because they're missing assignments and their defensive linemen got re- that like swarming rush defense that they've been doing, got really exposed by a team like the Spurs that actually knows how to pass the ball and make quick decisions and stuff. Um, and, you know, Fizz just didn't really adjust until it was too late, obviously. And then they made that comeback bid and, you know, weren't able to pull it off. So it, in the Nets game, it wasn't quite as stark with the, you know, getting so far behind the eight ball early, but they definitely didn't do themselves any favors in the first couple quarters and, you know, made it more difficult for them to try to make the comeback going down the stretch. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but just a reminder that today's show is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial today. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Just visit audible.com slash locked on NBA to take advantage of that offer. And if you're listening on the go and you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at locked on dot com slash offers. So, again, that's go to audible.com, use promo code locked on NBA or. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers to check out all the offers available from the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in total agreement. Like the Spurs game, I I have a similar situation as you. I I, I was working during it, but I almost wipe it off as a a little bit of an outlier because that was the Spurs team that was in total free fall. And this was like a game where, like, it it was essentially – a must win in regards to the art season. Like when they're losing six or seven in a row, if they had dropped one to the Knicks, like that, that almost would have been it. So I, I would have been shocked if the Knicks had won this one. I was obviously like you were <laughs> frustrated with their effort and <laughs> that inspired a great Mark Berman tweet that the Knicks are clearly the best team in the NBA when down by at least 28. <laughs> Which is uh, painful to read, but, uh, accurate. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, they just, they, they kind of, it was sort of the Knicks script tonight. Like they, they're designed to, to pick this team apart, which is why I was almost surprised that the Knicks played them so well the first time around, and, and then against the Nets. I mean, I guess I already complained about the defense, so I'll I'll talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, yeah, like another another frustrating night from like again the young guys who I'm like I'm really looking at to do well. Like obviously, like I mean Marcus Morris, like you could almost argue was like single-handedly the reason they were in the game with how spectacular he was. Shooting threes in the second half. I actually thought a pretty good game for Julius Randle. Taj was efficient as always, but I, I mean, at this point in the year, as as we've off noted, what I'm hoping for and what I'm looking for is okay. Like how are how are the guys who are actually going to be a part of the long term future this team doing? And I mean, Kevin Knox has, has sucked for almost a month at this point. That continued. He had only one more point than fouls in 18 minutes. Uh, Frank obviously missed that huge three down the stretch. Uh, he was, he was actually a positive plus minus for the game, which continues a pattern for him, as, as you noted when I was sort of complaining about his shooting a few episodes back. Like, even on nights when he's not hitting, he's still worth having out there. He still makes a positive impact. He, um, was actually only one off the Knicks lead in minutes per game, which I was really happy about because even, because in the past when he hasn't shot well, Fisdale has just tended to pull him. And on, on this night when he was, really struggling from the field and obviously down the stretch, like really let the Knicks down by missing a wide, wide open three. Um, Fizz like still have the confidence to play him. And especially with how DSJ was playing, even though his stats were decent, I, I didn't think he was very good. Uh, I, I was appreciative of that, if nothing else, in a game that was mostly pretty lousy.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I didn't think that Frank necessarily played bad. He definitely didn't have it, you know, shooting-wise in this game because he only shot three of 11, one of five from three. As you mentioned, he missed that shot down the stretch. I mean, I don't know if you could really fault him for that. That's not I – mean, obviously, you would have preferred he make it, and that's that would have been awesome. Um, and, Frank, I mean, I was actually racking my brain. I can remember all the way back in his rookie season, even, he had he he had a, a clutch three down the stretch um, during that, like, hot Porzingis stretch, um, you know, to start the season. Might have even been against the Nets, if I remember right. Um, I, I don't know if my memory is – yeah, yeah. I don't know if my memory's wrong there, but that might have been the first time that Frank, you know, started uh asserting his dominance over the Nets because he's definitely he's always played the Nets pretty well over the course of his career. Um, but like, I don't know. I I enjoyed his play. I, you know, I thought it wasn't as good as the Spurs game. Obviously, the Spurs game he made headlines because he hit, he was the youngest player ever to notch at least nine points nine re or nine points nine assists. Uh, and six steals with zero turnovers, uh, against the Spurs, which was a standout stat line for him. So, but that's kind of what I'm talking about though. Like, you know, he doesn't need to shoot any better than maybe 40% if he can hit that, um, you know, just as an overall number and, you know, hopefully be in the mid 30s with his three. And I feel like that's closer than we think, maybe. I mean, it, he goes so up and down with consistency as far as how he shoots the ball, but, I feel like the consistency is going to come at some point, point. Uh, and it's going to it's going to happen when he, I think when he's fully confident in himself and starts always shooting in rhythm, and you know not aiming a shot and stuff like that. Uh, but it, you know I think it'll come in time. But like all in all, you know in this game even I, I still you know the plus minus isn't a perfect stat, but I thought that it was reflective of how he played. Um, you know he ended up with a he was a plus one which, I mean, there was a team worst was minus 10 for Bobby Portis, which felt appropriate on a night that he shot one of five. But, you know, Frank, even when he shoots three of 11, he still contributed five assists. Um, he still played good defense. He didn't foul too much. He played good defense when he was allowed to play good defense, I should say. You know what I mean? Like when he was put in position um, to defend Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, the players on the Nets who were actually playing well, I thought he did a good job, which was, you know, the key, obviously, you know, it, I think there was a stat, the, uh, the NBA releases, you know, player tracking data and it's always fun to look and see, you know, the lead guard when they were actually guarded by Frank, like on what possessions, like how well did they shoot or whatever. And out of his 30 points, I think Denwoody only scored eight of them on Frank and a couple of them were called, were on foul shots uh, after the Knicks were over the limit, I think, um, and they were kind of dubious foul calls anyway. So, you know, all in all on a, on a night where Dinwiddie scored 30, I think Frank, uh, Frank did about the best of anybody to try to, you know, quell him and, um, just in general played a great game again. I don't know. I, it's, I, I feel like we, <laughs> we talk about him all the time. And, it, you know, I, I feel like people probably are going to be like, you guys talk about Frank too much, but he's, you know, on, on a lot of nights, he's one of the only guys that you can really look at and be like, well, this is a guy that, you know, he's a young player on the team that actually has a future with the team. And I'm legitimately happy with how he's playing. Um, I guess you could look at some Julius Randall nights and be like, well, you know, he's playing well and he could be part of the team long term. But I, I think anyone who's watched Randall so far this year doesn't necessarily want him on the Knicks long term. So um, it, it's just been good to see. Frank performing like he has and you know I thought this game was really no different than pretty much any of them it's just you know it would have been nice if a couple more shots had fallen particularly that one down the stretch because just getting this win would have been fun just for the you know quote-unquote rivalry I guess but all in all not too bad of a game no I mean what I what I really liked
0: about it from him like even though he finished three for 11 was he this was a rare game and, and obviously these are becoming increasingly frequent where he just kept on shooting, and, and he didn't really care that he was missing shots. He he had good looks, and he would take them when, I mean, essentially every game up until the last 10 for his career, if he missed his first couple of shots, that would be it, and he could be wide open from three or or even have, like, a pretty good look that everyone else on this roster would fire up without hesitation, and, and he was confident, and, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a case of process over results, and, and even though tonight they weren't falling, To your point, if he keeps shooting with that kind of confidence, eventually it's going to translate into a greater level of efficiency for him. And then in, in regard to, in regards to his battle with Dinwiddie, I mean, the the shots that Dinwiddie made against him were just really, really hard. Like you, you heard Clyde and Breen talk about it on the broadcast where Frank played picture perfect defense and Dinwiddie, who has like a ridiculous wingspan, would just sort of sneak an arm in under at the very last second and, and get it off. And it was it was it was just a good battle between those two. And it was genuinely like from an objective perspective, uh, pretty fun to watch. Uh, Do you want to get into maybe maybe DSJ a little bit? Because I thought kind of an interesting night for him actually shot it well from three for once, two for four from distance. I I thought this was his best passing game of the season. He had one cross court look to I think it was Ellington that was really reminiscent of his first couple of games as a Nick last year where he was making really smart passes and looked honestly like pretty precocious not not maybe maybe not running an offense but in terms of his ability to make cross court feeds and we just hadn't seen that all season long and tonight he, he actually whipped it out a couple of times five assists in 20 minutes is is obviously a great mark for him uh the finishing still wasn't there just 4 for 11 overall but uh pretty a Pretty interesting, if if mixed night, for uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, I thought he stopped, started off rough a little bit again. Um,
1: He had a really, really dubious take early in the game where he, he actually got in and sort of... Uh, he got into the lane and sort of had himself in position for what could have been an easy finger roll, or, you know, in theory, an easy finger roll, and instead tried to, like, bounce it off the backboard to himself and dunk it, which... You know, I admire the pizzazz, I guess, but it wasn't really the play that was called for at the time. You know, like the Knicks kind of just needed the bucket at that point. And, uh, you know, it got, it got affected by, I think it was Torian and Prince reached up and, you know, uh, just kind of swatted it just enough to get it out of the way of, of Smith being able to finish it. But, like, other than that, I mean, once he kind of got himself together, yeah, I, he still has his deficiencies on the defensive end, obviously, um, that are going to keep showing up, but, he scored pretty well. Uh, he shot two of four from three, which was the biggest thing to me. You know, when DSJ can start hitting from three and shoot at least shooting it confidently, which I, I think, ever since like, I'm trying to think what game it was. I mean, I guess probably like the Dallas game, the the one Dallas game, the home one. I, I'd say that was probably kind of the turning point where he started to look to me like he's shooting with some confidence. He, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with Frank. Like, even if it's not necessarily falling, it, he at least looks like he's shooting in rhythm now. And you would think that as long as he keeps getting reps in, you know, during practice and after games and stuff, that he should eventually start hitting those with some consistency. Um, so that was cool to see. Um And, you know, all in all, like you said, just kind of a, a good game for him. I still... I don't know. I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen when Peyton comes back because I don't know. I don't know if it's just going to turn into a thing where, like, Frank and DSJ's minutes kind of get leveled out and we're going to see, like, all three of those guys kind of playing almost equal minutes. uh, Like, all playing. I don't know. I mean, if you figure you can. We finally saw a little bit of DSJ and Frank last night and that kind of worked pretty well. Um, but, like, if, if, you know, you stagger them and maybe not necessarily keep all of them out there as only point guard at any given time, like maybe they all end up with 20 minutes a game or something, that would be kind of disappointing to me because I think I'd like to see Frank out there for more. But I wonder if that's going to happen when Peyton comes back. Um, it, it'll, it'll just be intriguing to see. But DSJ is certainly, I think, in Peyton's absence, you know, just like Frank has kind of established himself, I think it's the starter now. Um, and should stay a starter unless something really egregious happens that, you know, changes your mind or change, well, I should say changes Fisdale's mind. Um, but I think DSJ has definitely established himself to at least be deserving of playing time now, which was a lot more than you could say at the very beginning of the season or even when he first got back from his family tragedy. Uh, so it's, it's been, it's been encouraging a few games for him. I, I like what I've been seeing from DSJ.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think he's, he's turning a quarter again. I, Will continue my stated opinion until proven otherwise. I just I don't think he's that good, so I think him turning a corner means sort of average to slightly below average backup point guard play. But you know what? That's that's a massive upgrade over what he's been, and I, and it seems like I, just by getting on the right track and building some confidence, that, that's the best chance we have of seeing a better version of him as a player. So I'll I'll certainly take it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we, we are running uh, a little bit long. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to call it an episode. I know. I know. It's tough. It's tough for us, too. And uh, we'll be back in your feeds tomorrow morning with part two of this conversation, uh, getting into um, a pseudo report, pseudo bit of uh, maybe uh, just a straight up rumor from Ian Begley uh in terms of the Knicks uh, maybe being interested in trading Frank Nilakina, uh Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis as the trade deadline approaches and uh a bit more on uh on these two games. Uh that tomorrow on Locked on Knicks until then be good and enjoy your week. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days, from premium T-shirts and jeans to lightweight French Terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code staple two zero.